Let's pray together, church. And Father, it is so good to be in and with the church today to celebrate God, <clears throat> to sing of um, the cradle, God, the fact that you came to us, God, that you didn't leave us alone, that you didn't leave us in our sin, that you didn't destroy us when you could have, but you unveiled your glory and you wrapped yourself in our injured flesh and you dwelt among us, God, but it didn't stop there. You lived a perfect life. For 33 years, you lived a perfect life, submitted to the Father, led by the Spirit, and then you walked willingly to a cross where you paid our debt, forgave our sins, bore the wrath of God so that we could be reconciled to him. Father, I pray today, God, I ask you for the people in this room that we would do more than sing about Christmas, but that we would worship at the cross of Jesus. And God, by your spirit, I pray that you would do that today. Father, I pray you'd speak through me as I preach your word, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. We need you, we need you, we want you. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak clearly. And I ask that in Jesus' name today. Amen, amen. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> well, church, it is, it is good to be with you guys today. We're... Um, we're concluding our series. We're calling the Cradle and the Cross today, and uh, and we're going to have our we're going to have our Christmas Eve services coming up in a few days. But um, I want you to open up your Bibles with me to the Book of Genesis, Genesis chapter three. If you brought a copy of the Scripture, we're going to be in Genesis chapter three together. And um, all the way back in the Old Testament is where we're going to be, and then we're going to jump around in a couple of places. Years ago, I heard, um, I don't remember how long it was, it's been the last 10 years, I heard a, a kid's Christmas poem, <clears throat> and I don't remember the name of it, you, you may, when I talk about it, you may remember the name of it, and when I first heard it, honestly, when I, just, when I first heard it several years ago, I thought it was kind of cheesy, and, uh, but kind of the older I get, and I'll tell you, It'll make more sense to you why I don't think it's cheesy anymore, but I don't think it's cheesy anymore. And uh, I wish I could find it. I looked for it and I couldn't find it, but it's a, it's a poem about the night that Jesus was born and how all the angels in heaven were, were just pumped waiting for Jesus to be born. And they're sitting on the edge of their seats and, and they were just waiting for the sound of, of the cry of, of the baby because they knew that when they heard the sound of the crying baby that they were just gonna go crazy, that they were gonna start celebrating um, everything, that you know, the, the incarnation that Christ had come. And, and, and so right is about, right about the time that Mary was about to go into labor. And I'm paraphrasing this poem, by the way. This is not how it went. I'm just kind of paraphrasing it. But right about the time that Mary went into labor, God looked over at this one little angel and, and he said, hey, you know, come over here. I've got a job for you to do. He tells this angel, I need you to go right now. I want you to plant a tree on earth. And the angel said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. And so the angel took off to earth, but he was just bummed out. He was bummed out because he was about to miss the, the greatest moment in human history to go plant a stupid tree, 
right? And the angel never understood why God made him do that because he missed the whole thing. Mary goes into labor, heaven's going crazy, they're high-fiving, they're, they're cheering, and he can hear them, and he's bummed because he had to plant this tree, and he never understood why he had to plant this tree until 33 years later when this baby that was born on that night was crucified on the tree that he had planted. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not how it happened, um, as I'm going to actually show you biblically here in a few minutes, but what we, all, what we are going to see is that kind of the heartbeat and the idea behind that children's poem, I believe, is right on the money. And that's why we called this series The Cradle and the Cross. And one of the things, church, that I've realized over the years as I've studied Scripture is just how connected and how inseparable the cradle and the cross really are. Because, church, the more you understand the Bible the more you understand that the birth of Jesus in and unto itself was a means to an end, right? The whole point of Christmas, the whole point of Christmas is that it was the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. And and even as followers of Jesus, even as Christians, I know that we are, and I myself am included in this, we are really bad about forgetting that at Christmas time. I mean, I know I have a tendency at Christmas just to focus on the birth of Jesus and just to focus on the incarnation, just to focus on the truth that that Christ came, or rather God came to earth and and he dwelt among us. I have a tendency to focus on that. And, And that's awesome. It's awesome. And it's a cause for great joy, the incarnation. But what hopefully we're gonna see today is that the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus were never meant to be thought about as separate things. The birth of Jesus and the, and the death of Jesus were, are always meant to be connected to one another. And we're going to see that all the way back in the Garden of Eden. So let's turn there. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going to see God begin to speak. Because Adam and Eve have just sinned. Satan came, he deceived them, he said, hey, eat of the, of the fruit of that tree and you're going to be like God. And Adam and Eve said, that sounds good to me. So they took the, uh, the apple or the fruit or whatever and they ate it. And then right then God shows up on the scene and God begins to speak to Satan who has deceived Adam and Eve. And then verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now look at verse 14, or rather verse 15. Watch what God says to Satan here. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between you and the woman. Now it's interesting there, because Adam is standing there. Adam's standing there. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God doesn't call out Eve, he calls out Adam because Adam's responsible for leading that relationship. But then when, but when then, uh, rather God begins to talk to Satan, watch what he says. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. That word enmity, it means, it means warfare or animosity or antagonism between you and the woman, which is interesting that he says that. And then he says, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, what in the world did God just say? 
what God just did is God just spoke about and talked about the cradle and the cross. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God begins to speak about the cradle and the cross. God said, Satan, I'm going to put enmity between your seed. And then he says, I'm going to put enmity between her seed. And that's fascinating because, I don't know if you've noticed, but women don't have seed. Men have seed. And so what what is God saying? He's saying this. And all the way, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God's saying there is going to be born a child and that child will be born without the seed of a man. Genesis chapter 3, God is saying there is going to be a child that is going to be born of a virgin. And the second thing God says, he says, Satan, this child that's going to be born of a virgin, you are going to bruise him on his heel. In other words, he says, Satan, you're going to hurt this, this kid born of a virgin. He's talking about the cross. You're going to hurt him. But then he goes on and says, Satan, this baby born of a virgin, you're going to bruise him on his heel, but this baby, Satan, is going to bruise you on your head. And what he's saying there in this, he's saying, Satan, in the process of you hurting this child born of a virgin, the cross, in the process of you bruising him on his heel, he is going to destroy you. All the way back in Genesis 3, 15, God calls his shot. He says there's going to be a cradle and there's going to be a cross. God says, Satan, here's how I'm going to fix all this that you just messed up. Here's how I'm going to make all this right. Here's how I'm going to make all things new. Here's how I'm going to redeem these people back to myself. There's going to be a cradle and there's going to be a cross. And thousands of years later, thousands of years after God calls a shot in Genesis 3.15, the prophets of God begin to speak about the same thing. The prophets of God begin to tell everybody that would listen, there's going to be a cradle and there's going to be a cross. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah says this in a verse that many of you have heard. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin, there he is, quoting Genesis 3.15. There'll be a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which you guys know means God with us. Isaiah 7, you hear about the cradle. Isaiah 53, you hear about the cross. Isaiah 53.2, it says, for he, speaking of this baby born of a virgin, it says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the, his chastisement brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. The prophets knew, the prophets knew it, that the whole point of the baby being born was so that baby could grow up and die. 
The prophets knew that the whole point of the baby being born was so that his chastisement would bring us peace and by his wounds we would be healed. The the prophets knew this, that the whole point of the cradle is so that there would one day be a cross. They never separated them. Now you know somebody else who knew? Somebody else who knew was Mary. One of the things that I've noticed over the years, guys, is that because every year I have to study the Christmas story. And I don't know if you've ever thought about preachers have to do that, but every year you have to do the Easter story, you have to do the Christmas story, and then you have to come up with something to talk about every year about this time. But one of the things I've found is that God has always been faithful in his living and active word of God to show me something I've never seen. It's happened every year I've been in the ministry. And this was the point this year that I've never seen before. Mary knew about the cross. I've never thought about that. Mary knew that the moment that she found out she was carrying in her womb the Messiah, she knew what that would mean. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Um, um, Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 verse 39. Luke chapter 1 verse 39. And it's, it's in the conversation with her cousin Elizabeth that really reveals to us that she knew not only about the cradle but the cross And keep in mind as we read Luke 1 here that Mary was a devout Jew. This woman knew Isaiah 7. All devout Jews knew Isaiah 7. She knew that there would come a day when a Savior would be born of a virgin. And and she knew Isaiah 53. She knew Isaiah, all devout Jews knew Isaiah 53. And so I'm telling you, the moment that it hit Mary, that she was carrying in her womb the Messiah, she knew that that Messiah would one day have to grow up and by his wounds, we would be healed. But we see this in Luke 139 as she speaks to her cousin, Elizabeth. Verse 39, it says, now at this time, Mary rose and went to the, in a hurry to the hill country. And this is right after she's found out that she's pregnant. <clears throat> the angel has come to her. So in a hurry, she, she goes to the hill country to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, that's her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist right there. And so Mary walks in the door and she begins to talk and John the Baptist starts dancing, right? When he hears Mary's voice, which I've always thought that was kind of cool. And then watch what happens next in verse 42. It says, and she, that's Elizabeth, cried out with a loud voice and said, now watch this. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now right there, that word blessed, somebody look at the word blessed there. Um, the word blessed Elizabeth uses is the Greek word ulugeo, which means blessed because people are going to speak well of you. Uh, Elizabeth is saying, Mary, because of this, everybody is going to speak well of you because you have been chosen uh, to, to bear the Son of God. Everybody's going to talk nice about you. And that is absolutely true. That's come true, right? Everybody loves Mary. To this day, everybody still speaks well of Mary. But I want you to watch Mary's response that she gives to Elizabeth because Mary, and it's in her response that we begin to see that Mary understood that this was about more than a birth, but it was eventually going to mean a death. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts 
the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God. And watch what she calls him. She says, my savior. All the names of God, she calls him her savior. Okay, which is pretty unusual to call God their savior at this point in the scripture. But she says, I rejoice in God, my savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Now watch the word blessed there. And at first glance, you think that she's just repeating what Elizabeth just said. You think that she's just repeating the fact that Elizabeth said, hey, because of this, everybody's going to speak well of you. But that's not what Mary just said. Mary uses a completely different word in the Greek than Elizabeth does. Mary doesn't use the word ilageo here that I'm going to be blessed because everybody's going to speak well of me. Mary uses the word there, makarizo, which means this. I'm going to be blessed because I am indwelt with God. That's what makarizo means. I'm blessed because God has indwelt me. So what literally Mary says is my soul exalts the Lord for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave for behold from this time on all generations will know that I am blessed because I have been indwelt with God. That's what she just said. What Mary is saying is that she knows that she is carrying inside of her the Messiah. What she's saying is that she knows that she is carrying inside her the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. What she's saying there is that she knows that she is carrying inside of her the fulfillment of Isaiah 7. And if she knows all those things, then she most certainly knows that she is carrying inside of her the Messiah who will one day fulfill Isaiah 53. And that's why she says this in verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Mary said, I'm indwelt with God and through him, the one I am indwelt with, the mercy of God is going to be poured out on all generations. Church, how has the mercy of God been poured out on all generations? It's the cross, the cross. Mary knew about the cradle and Mary knew about the cross. And... um, When I was preparing for this, when I saw that, when I was looking through there and doing my Greek work and I realized she used different words and what it meant, I'm like, she knew. She knew. And I started laughing because I remembered that song, that old Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? You remember that song? If you don't know that song, you probably haven't been around church long enough, that's okay, but there's this kind of old Christian Christmas song called Mary, Did You Know? I got the lyrics, I'll read them for you. It says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? Mary, did you know? The child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? Mary, did you know the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? I thought about that, I started laughing, and I've decided that if I'm ever in a church service 
or I'm, they're doing some Christmas thing and I'm in the audience and somebody sings, Mary, did you know? At the end of the song and it gets quiet, I'm going to shout out, yes, she knew. <laughs> and you don't think I'll do it. I'll do it. Ask my wife. Now, she'll hit me hard in the arm, but I'm going to do it. I promise you. I'll say, yes, she knew. Read your Bible. She knew. <laughs> Mary knew the cross was coming. And that's powerful when you think about it. She knew the cross was coming, which makes her response to the angel, Gabriel, all the more amazing. Because when the angel comes to her and says, you're going to bear a child and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, she went, Isaiah 7. Isaiah 53. And she looks at the angel and she says, Behold, I am the slave of the Lord, and he can do with me whatever he wants. Mary knew. But you know somebody else who knew that there would not only be a cradle, but there would be a cross? Jesus did. Jesus knew it. You see, one of the things we have a tendency to forget is that the cross was always the plan. It was always the plan. And it's fascinating when you think about it because John, the gospel writer, tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1, don't turn there, just listen and watch carefully. In John 1, 1, listen to what he says about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, talking about Jesus says he, that's Jesus, was in the beginning with God. And this is where it gets nuts. He says in verse 3, all things were made through him. Get your mind around that. All things, talking about Jesus, not talking about the Father. He says all things were made through him and without him, not anything made, was not anything made, that was made. I did that in the ESV, very accurate in the Greek right there. He says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And what the scripture just told us is that Jesus has existed eternally with God and there has been nothing made apart from the creating power of Jesus Christ. Now here's why that's fascinating. If Jesus is omniscient and he is, if nothing has been created apart from Jesus, which it has not, then here's what that means. It means that Jesus planted the tree that he would be crucified on. He made it. It means that Jesus formed the thorn bush that would be cut down and placed into a crown and pressed down on his head. It means that Jesus made the iron ore and intentionally placed it in the heart, of the heart of the earth in which the nails would eventually be fastened and driven into his, his feet and his hands. It mean, means that Jesus fashioned and formed Judas, the betrayer, in his mother's womb. And that teaches us that the cross was never plan B. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not an afterthought. It means Jesus planned his own sacrifice. It teaches us that the birth of Jesus was never meant to be thought of as separate from the death of Jesus, ever. So why am I telling you all this? 
You know, what's, what's the point? And here's the point. That just in the same way that God didn't think about them separately, talk about them separately, in the same way that Isaiah, when he preached, didn't talk about them separately, when, that Mary, when, when she thought about what it meant to be the mother of Jesus, she didn't think about them separately, in the same way that Jesus did not think about them separately. As followers of Christ, as we celebrate Christmas this year, we cannot separate, we cannot disconnect the cradle from the cross. Because there's going to be three very different groups of people that are going to celebrate Christmas this year. And you're in one of the three. And the first group of people is the group that's going to celebrate Christmas. And when they do, they're going to completely miss the point of Christmas. They're going to come, just going to completely miss it. I read an article uh, just about four days ago that there was a survey done. Um, and I can't remember the, the group that did the survey, but I remember it was, it was reputable. And there is over 50% or like 52% of America that will celebrate Christmas this year with absolutely no connection whatsoever to Jesus. And so they're going to put Christmas lights on and up and they're going to go to parties and They're going to get up early on Christmas morning and they're going to exchange presents and they're going to gather with their families and they're going to sing songs like walking in a winter wonderland and I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And for them, that's it. That's it. That's it. And so if you were to like take a person that had no concept of what Christmas was about... Let's say, for instance, you just grabbed somebody from a third world country and you brought them over here and they had no clue what Christmas is about and they just followed this 52% of people around to try to figure out why it is we're doing what we're doing. If they were following the 52% around, they would, it, would, it would blow their minds. They'd be like, what in the world are these crazy people up to? They would have absolutely no concept whatsoever why we were doing this. They would go, okay, well, they celebrate this holiday. It's on December 25th. They start freaking out about it the Thanksgiving afternoon. And, and, and all I can tell is they're, they're really into this fat guy that wears a red suit and, and they, like, there's a lot of lights and they give out presents, but I have absolutely no clue why. And then there's another group of people that are gonna celebrate Christmas this year. And this is a group of people where Christmas is actually gonna mean more to them because they're gonna celebrate the cradle. They're gonna celebrate the birth of Jesus and, and this group of people are gonna have some, some awesome Christmas experiences. They'll go to church. They'll sing songs like Silent Night and Away in a Manger and, and all that stuff is great, but the problem with them is that's where it's gonna end. And the same person that has no concept of what Christmas is about, they they could follow them around and they might begin to understand, be like, oh, okay, 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 okay. It's not just about the, the fat guy in the red suit, but it's actually about this Jesus guy and they're, they're celebrating his birth. But that's it for them. And they still will have completely missed the point because their celebration of Christmas never takes them from the cradle to the cross. And here's the problem with that, because there are some of us in the room that that's how we're celebrating. 
There's a problem with those of us during this time of the year where the cradle never takes us to the cross. And here is the reason, because almost every religion loves Jesus. Almost every religion loves Jesus. I mean, a person practicing Islam could, if they wanted to, celebrate Christmas like, like this. Church, people don't have a problem with Jesus' birth. People have zero problem with the cradle. Where people get hung up and where people have a problem is not the birth of Jesus. People have a problem with the death of Jesus. People get hung up on the fact that, yes, this baby was born so that he could live a perfect life and die and be an atonement for our sins. That's where they get hung up. And I'm going to tell you something. You cannot be saved because you trust into the birth of Jesus. You can only be saved by trusting into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as Christians, as people that are followers of Christ, at this year we have to be a people that don't just celebrate the birth of a baby. We have to be willing to celebrate the birth of a Savior. You see the difference? Y'all with me? Y'all see the difference? We have to be willing to celebrate the birth of a Savior. And this disconnect between the two, it, I saw it the other day just in a really clear way. I was in the car. I was listening to um, this really famous secular um, recording artist. And, and as far as I know, he's not a believer. And he started singing, Oh Holy Night. And it got my attention because this guy, I'm pretty sure he's not a believer. And, and he's singing a very, very Christian song. Right, the Oh Holy Night, it doesn't just point us to the cradle, but it points us to the point of the cradle. And so I turned it up, because I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. And he sure enough sang the first verse, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth, and went through all that, and everything's good. And then he got to the last verse, and truly he taught us to love one another, his law is love, and the gospel is peace. I'm thinking, all right, this is awesome, this guy is praising the Lord here. Change shall he break for slaves our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. I'm like, yes, go. This is awesome. This guy's praising God. He doesn't even realize it. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raisedly. Let all within us praise his holy name. And here comes the part, right? And then he gets to that part. Dude starts singing Noel, 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 Noel over and over and over again. And I started screaming at the radio. Like, No! Why am I screaming at the radio? Because he wanted to sing about the cradle, but he didn't want to sing about the whole point of the cradle. What did he cut out? Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. For Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. For his power and his glory evermore shall reign. His power and his glory evermore shall reign. Church, why is it so messed up that he left that part out? And here's the reason. Because for us, for you and me, the birth of a baby was never meant to produce in us praise. What was meant to produce in us praise is not the birth of a baby, but the birth of a savior. A savior who will shed his blood and die in order to redeem us back to him. We can't just point people to the cradle. 
we have to point people to why the cradle was there in the first place. It's the cross. Which brings us to the third group of people. The third group of people that are gonna celebrate Christmas this year and and my prayer for you is that you're gonna be among them. And these are the ones who are gonna celebrate not only the birth of Jesus, but they're gonna celebrate the birth and what the birth was all about and that is the cross of Jesus. And you're gonna be the people that remember that when the angels came to the shepherds that night, they didn't say today, Today in the city of David, I bring to you good news and great joy because there has been born for you a baby. You're gonna be the people that remember that the angels came to these shepherds, this lowest group of of society and came to them and said, today I bring to you a good news of great joy, which is for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior which is Christ the Lord. You're gonna be the people that when you sing this Christmas, you're not gonna be just singing about the birth of a baby, but you're gonna be worshiping because of the birth of a crucified, risen king. You're gonna be the people that when you sing, oh, holy night, you're not cutting out the last part and singing Noel, Noel, Noel. You'll lift your hands and with all that is within you, you'll sing for Christ is the Lord. And he'll praise, we'll praise his name forever because his power and his glory forevermore is gonna reign. You're gonna be the people that when you sing Heart, the herald angels sing. You go through the first and the second verse and it's gonna be awesome and it's gonna be great. But, but you're gonna get to about the third verse and your Christmas, listen, your Christmas singing is gonna turn, it's gonna transform into Christ exalting worship. As these words come out of your mouth, hail the heaven born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness for light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings and mild he lays his glory by. He was born that men no more may die. He was born, he was born so that men no more may die. He was born to raise the sons of earth. He was born to give them second birth. Heart the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. I'm thankful for people like you because make no mistake, people are watching you. People with no concept whatsoever of what Christmas is all about. They're watching you and they're listening to you. Family members in a couple of days co-workers, neighbors, friends. They're watching, they're listening. They have no concept. And when they watch and when they listen, let them see us celebrating Christmas for everything that it was meant to be, which is not the birth of a baby, but the birth of our Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So let's pray together. 
Let's bow our heads. Let's just, as, as our heads are bowed, let's, would you just ask the Lord to do that? Would you ask him as your heads are bowed right now to give you opportunities this Christmas? Not just to point people to a, a cradle, but to point them to a cross. Ask him to give you the courage to demonstrate what Christmas is all about. What God spoke of, what Isaiah spoke of, what Mary spoke of, what Jesus lived out. Ask him right now. Now ask him that your, his spirit would just fall on you now as we sing and that this would just be more than Christmas singing. But for you, it would be worship, that you would worship him for what he's done. Jesus, on this morning that we celebrate your coming, we remember what you came for. And we thank you that you did. You walked to the cross. You died for us. You shed your blood so that we might have life. We thank you for that. And we worship you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's sing to him. Let's worship him this morning. The cradle and the cross.